This is CPX number 89, Matrimony Part 2. This is the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 107 to 108, question and answer 8 through 13. God give you his peace, and omni patri suffidit, spiritu santi, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who are present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, amen. In omni patris fidi, spiritu santi, amen. And today we will be discussing the marriage minister and the right dispositions. Who are the ministers of the sacrament? Answer, the ministers of this sacrament are the couple themselves who together confer and receive the sacrament. Number nine. How is this sacrament administered? Answer, this sacrament, preserving as it does the nature of a contract, is administered by the contracting parties themselves who declare, in the presence of the parish priest or another priest delegated by him and of two witnesses, that they take each other in marriage. Number 10. What use then is the blessing which the parish priest gives to the married couple? Answer, the blessing which the parish priest gives to the married couple is not necessary to constitute the sacrament, but it is given to sanction their union in the name of the church and to invoke on them more abundantly the blessing of God. Number 11. What intention should those have who contract marriage? Answer. Those who contract marriage should have the intention, one, of doing the will of God who calls them to that state, two, of working out in that state the salvation of their souls, and three, of bringing up their children as Christians, if God should bless them with any. Number 12. How should those about to be married prepare themselves to receive the sacrament with fruit? Answer. In order to receive the sacrament with fruit, those about to be married should 1. Earnestly recommend themselves to God so as to know His will and obtain the graces necessary for that state. 2. Consult their parents before making any promise because obedience and the respect due to them demand this. 3. Prepare themselves by a good confession, or if necessary, a general confession of their whole life. 4. Avoid all dangerous familiarity in word or act while in each other's company. Number 13. What are the principal obligations of married persons? Answer. Married persons should 1. Guard inviolably their conjugal fidelity and behave always and in all things as Christians. Two, love one another, bear patiently with another, and live in peace and concord. Number three, think seriously of providing for their children, if they have any, according to their needs. Bring them up as Christians and leave them free to choose the state to which they are called by God. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. Okay, so you know I have something to say on each one of these question and answers today. If you know anybody in their late teens or early 20s, you may want to have them listen to this today because a lot of today is preparation for marriage. Let's look at number eight. Who are the ministers of this sacrament? The ministers of this sacrament are the couple themselves who together confer and receive this sacrament. I'm going to link one of the CPXs I did on the Eastern Churches. Remember, there are 23 Eastern Catholic Churches or 23 Eastern Catholic Rites, and there's only one Western or Latin or Roman Rite and 99% of all Catholics belong to that last one. Um, but it is important to be aware of the Eastern churches and some of their theology. I'm going to link that CPX talking about the 23 Eastern churches and the one Latin church. But this plays in today a little bit because in the West, as the Pope just said, it is the couple themselves who confer the sacrament. But for the Eastern churches, like that would be the Lebanese or Indian Catholics or um, Greek Catholics, it is the priest who confects the sacrament. And then the two people, the man and the woman, are the one who receive that. 
But in the West, and I think this is better maybe because I'm Western, I'm a big fan of the East, but in this, I really am a fan of the West, that it's the man and the woman that confer the sacrament. We're going to see later why that's so important. But do be aware, if you're one of the Eastern Catholics listening, uh, it is the priest who confects that. Number nine, how is this sacrament administered? Answer, the sacrament, preserving as it does the nature of a contract, is administered by the contracting parties themselves who declare in the presence of the parish priest or another priest delegated by him and of two witnesses that they take each other in marriage. Now, it's important to realize there's two parts of this. It's called ratum and consummatum. Ratum is the exchange of vows in the day at the church, and then consummatum happens at night. There is an interesting thing in Western canon law, maybe Eastern too, but definitely Western canon law called ratum non consummatum. It's when a couple has made the vows during the day, but for some reason couldn't do what married people do. Um, this is actually a, a valid marriage, but it is not indissoluble. That sounds a little bit weird, but here's the thing. When a couple is in a state of ratum non consummatum, they've made the vows but never consummated the marriage, the Pope can dissolve that union. You first apply to the bishop, and then he forwards that to the Pope. This might sound like just something weird from the Middle Ages, but uh, in the past 30 years, there was a case in one of the Catholic Eastern Bloc countries where a lot of young people got married, but there wasn't enough housing in all of these communist apartments for them to live together, so they never consummated the marriage. And then what happened is a little bit, you know, some years passed and they either fell in love with somebody else or whatever. So the Pope was getting all these Eastern Catholics petitions to dissolve in a ratum non consummatum situation their vows made at the altar, but it was never consummated. So this is, it's rare, but it can still happen. I got that story from a blog called Canon Law Made Easy. And so if you're interested in Ratanon Consummatum, I will link that in the show notes. Kind of rare, but it shows you what marriage is made of in those two parts. Number 10, what use then is the blessing which the parish priest gives to the married couple? Answer, the blessing which the parish priest gives to the married couple is not necessary to constitute the sacrament, but it is given to sanction their union in the name of the church and to invoke on them more abundantly the blessing of God. Okay, so you know, I think it was only mandated at the Council of Trent in the 16th century to have a priest there. Now, some people could look at that and be like, oh, see how late that was in the game to add a priest. But remember, you know, before that, even, even though some people might say it was only customary to have a priest, that's not exactly true. In some sense, it was as, it was necessary to have the priests there to, as the Pope said today, sanction their union in the name of the church. That's why even in that eloping scene in Braveheart, they make sure there is a priest there. But as I read in that National Catholic Register article last week by John Clark, there are certain times, even now, when marriage can be confected by just a man and a woman without the priest. And that's why I think it's so important that we in the West recognize that it is the man and the woman, not the priest, who confect this bond. Or rather, God galvanizes that bond made at the altar. And what can break that bond? Only death. I'll read you that quote again from the article titled, Never Stop Buying Flowers. Clark wrote, quote, Of all the seven sacraments, matrimony is certainly one of the easiest to confect. In extreme circumstances, canon law concedes that it is not even absolutely required that a priest be present for the sacrament to take place. To use a classic example, if stranded on a tropical island, a single baptized man and a single baptized woman may freely consent to marry each other even without a priest. 
They may also baptize their own children, the fruit of that marriage, in those same tropical waters. Turns out, God, the author of matrimony, loves marriage, and he has already provided for such circumstances, end quote. Okay, number 11, what intention should those have who contract marriage? Answer, those who contract marriage should have the intention of doing the will of God who calls them to that state, of working out in that state the salvation of their souls, and of bringing up their children as Christians if God should bless them with any. Okay, just a couple points on this. Notice that the new school goals of marriage, they talk about things like mutual help, which isn't totally bad. It's not totally wrong, but traditional Catholic answers always came down to two things as the most important. One, the glory of God, and two, the salvation of souls. And so in mutual help, we don't really hear that. It's kind of implied, but it's direct in what the Pope said today. Listen again. Listen for glory of God in the first one. Of doing the will of God who calls him to the state. And then two, salvation of souls. How did that fit into the answer number 11? He says, of working out in that state the salvation of their souls. So one of the things you're always going to hear in traditional Catholicism is the first goal of any vocation is the glory of God. And the second goal of any vocation is the salvation of souls. It's not earthly happiness, even though that's an awesome bonus. It's the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Number 12, how should those about to be married prepare themselves to receive the sacrament with fruit? Answer, in order to receive the sacrament with fruit, those about to be married should, one, earnestly recommend themselves to God so as to know his will and obtain the graces necessary for that state. Two, consult their parents before making any promise because obedience and the respect due to them demand this. Number three, prepare themselves by a good confession or, if necessary, a general confession of their whole life. Number four, avoid all dangerous familiarity in word or act while in each other's company. Okay, let's work backwards through these and uh, go through a few of these. I find it interesting that over a hundred years ago, Pope St. Pius X knew to advise engaged couples to, quote, avoid all dangerous familiarity in word or act while in each other's company, end quote. He's talking about engaged couple be being careful of each other. Now, that's not, that might sound prudish to modern ears, but look, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Catholic Church, always wanted the wedding day to be a day of purity. Remember, the reason why the bride wears a white dress is a sign of her virginity, even as she has been pure with her future husband up to that point. Now, if they've fallen with themselves or another, then we have the previous part of that, that the Pope said they should prepare themselves by a good confession or, if necessary, a general confession of their whole life. And really, I add, that should be done even if they've lived a good life in their engagement. Um, why should they go to confession before their marriage? Because we're all sinners, and you want to be as strong and as clean and as holy as possible on the day of your wedding. Um, how about number two on today? It said, consult their parents before making any promise because obedience and the respect due to them demand this. Now, right there, that shows you how young young people were at the turn of the century that young people were ready to get married. Of course, now we live in a much more immature culture, and economically, it's very hostile to people getting married young, especially in urban areas. But things are getting slightly better as many traditionalists are moving to farm life or at least rural life. Now, we have to look at that. Is it always necessary to consult parents before you get married? Of course, this is generally good advice, but obviously now, maybe this is something the Pope didn't foresee. There are a lot of young traditional Catholics who come from parents who are, maybe we should say, not as pious. 
as long as that young couple who's looking at getting married, as long as they're over 18 years old, they are not, they don't have to necessarily seek the parents' permission. But it's a great tradition to go ask the bride, the future bride's father for her hand. And if you're not asking permission, at least ask the blessing. Remember, like I said last time, there's some young people who move too fast towards marriage, and that's true for traditional Catholics too. So life experience of more liberal parents can sometimes help younger conservative kids pump the brakes a little bit, even if your values aren't the same as your parents. But ultimately, young people, provided they're over 18 years old, must follow the inspirations of God more than they follow the directives of their parents, for that couple will be responsible for the salvation of their future family. On the last one, number 13 again, which are the principal obligations of married persons? Answer, married persons should, one, guard inviolably their conjugal fidelity and behave always and in all things as Christians. Two, love one another, bear patiently with one another, and live in peace and concord. Number three, think seriously of providing for their children if they have any according to their needs. Bring them up as Christians and leave them free to choose the state of life to which they are called by God. And then we'll just close with a few of my own additions today. Regarding number one there, guard inviolably their conjugal fidelity and behave always and in all things as Christians. So guys, remember Jesus said, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Are you ready to enter into marriage with that directive? So married and engaged and pre-engaged people, especially guys, look at that line to guard inviolably their conjugal fidelity in marriage and remember, that comes down not only to actions, but also to thoughts and looks. So young men need to think about, say, kicking any bad habits in this department before getting engaged. you got to remember, marriage will not solve your problems. In fact, it makes many people's addictions get worse. So you got to kick bad habits ASAP if you want to follow Christ closely into either religious life or priesthood or single life or marriage. Now let's look at number two there. Straight from scripture, love one another, bear patiently with one another, and live in peace and concord. You know, I, I tend to think maybe some traditionalists overlook this. I personally think that if you're fighting in your engagement and, you know, already getting marriage counseling before marriage, you're probably not too in love. That's just my own personal advice. Because look, you only got one shot at marriage. So don't settle for someone that you're going to fight with your whole life. And finally, number three, it says, think seriously of providing for their children. Of course, I wish this dark world of totally global communism wasn't so anti-family, but we are alive now. So it's still a true point of guidance from the Pope to all young men out there, even today. Young men, if you can't provide for children, you're just not ready to get married. Sorry to end on a negative note. Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis. Pachi Safiti, Spiriti Santi, Descendit Supervos, Et Maniat Semper. Amen.